welcome to the Transformational Storyteller Podcast. The stories we tell ourselves and others shape the lives we lead. I'm your host, Dara Lise Lyons. Welcome to another episode of the Transformational Storyteller Podcast, where the stories we tell ourselves and others transform and shape the lives that we live. Speaking of inspirational stories, my guest today, Jennifer, has been through some tremendous adversity and emerged with a sense of passion and purpose that she never knew possible. So I am excited to hear her talk about her experiences today and to get to know um, to get to know her better and also get to know what we can do when life gets us down and throws us unexpected curveballs and how we can take those moments and reinvent ourselves. Thank you so much for having me. My story is one of reinvention. I was a litigator for 12 years when I had a near-death accident, which led me down a path to become an entrepreneur when I had no idea how to run a business and no plans of ever starting my own business. I started a business about six years ago doing consulting, knowing that I really wanted to turn it into a public speaking business, but being told that a career in public speaking was no longer going to be a realistic possibility for me given a brain injury that I suffered. So the last six years I've been growing it, and in the last couple years I was able to kind of turn it on its face and turn it into more of a speaking and training business with kind of a side of consulting. So now I do speaking and training. I go into companies, law firms, conferences, uh, basically anywhere that will have me and teach people how to network better. It's been a really long journey of physical and mental disabilities um, resulting from my accident, but um, now I'm on a really good path and I love the work I'm doing and I hope I can share my story and help other people who are going through other transitions in their own life. If you're inspired by Jennifer's story and by other stories of personal um, adversity and overcoming and you like to read, uh, Loving Healing Press is one of our show's sponsors and they have generously offered 15% off to any viewers and listeners of the Transformational Storyteller podcast. So to take advantage of their offer, go to www.lhpress.com and enter the coupon code DARALISE for 15% off at checkout. That's D-A-R-A-L-Y-S-E. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about your story. And you met, you talked about co- having a career in litigation. So yes. <laughs> this is completely different what you're doing now, right? It is and it isn't. I mean, it is different in the sense that, you know, obviously I'm not doing law anymore, although I do work with some lawyers. But um, the public speaking aspect, so I used to do trials and hearings and that sort of thing, and now I'm in front of groups and workshops and, you know, on stages and things like that. So I feel like there are some similarities, and also I feel like a lot of the people skills that I had to develop as a litigator doing trial work have really helped me transition to what I'm doing now. 
Well, and probably the attention to detail and the rigor, you know, like our translatable skills, I would imagine. I would actually say that the entrepreneur life is harder than what I was doing as a litigator. Really? The pace as a litigator was quicker. You know, I mean, when you got called to trial and the demands, you know, sometimes you're working around the clock, you know, when you're on trial. But I mean, with the entrepreneur life, you know, you're kind of 24 seven. If you don't schedule time for yourself, everybody else will take it away from you because, you know, people demand your time for so many different things and you really have to create those spaces for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what was the entrepreneurial life something that you kind of wanted before the accident? Was it, so no. talk to me a little bit about <laughs> that process. Yeah, it was not something I wanted. I mean, obviously I went to law school, you know, my plan was to stay in that uh, world. It took on a lot of debt for law school. Yeah. So, you know, clearly that was a whole long process of school and, and the bar exam and all that fun stuff. Um, and no, I, I really, even as a lawyer, I mean, I wasn't one of those people that thought down the road I'd start my own law firm or anything like that. It just seemed like too much work. Um, and really, I feel like I did it out of necessity. You know, when I had my accident, I had really serious physical injuries, but I also had a traumatic brain injury. And because of that, um, I had issues such as memory problems. Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember my files. I couldn't find words. So I could have a conversation, but um, you know, I would not remember the anonym or synonym, or sometimes I knew what I wanted to say, but I couldn't get the words out. Um, my comprehension wasn't where it was. I couldn't even be in a space with multiple stimuli. So, for example, if I went to like a family event and there were multiple conversations and light and music in the background, I would actually start having like anger outbursts because I couldn't function putting anything in the background that I was able to put in the background before. Um, so that's, you know, it's a really long answer to tell you that um, I felt like I started a business out of necessity because I really couldn't do a traditional nine to five anymore and I didn't know what I would be able to do. So I figured starting a business where I could do it at my own pace and, you know, if I needed to do something for an hour a day and that was all I could handle at that time, then that was all I could handle, you know? Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, I think traumatic brain injury, like, that is so, you're basically re recreating and re you mentioned reinventing yourself. Yeah. And so that feels like a very challenging time to be starting anything new. It, it was a very challenging time. By the time I started it, I was about three and a half years out. So I had finished formal therapy. Like I had been um, obviously in the ICU, in the hospital. I had a number of surgeries. Um, and then I had treated at Bryn Mawr Rehab um, for seven months and then a place called Remed in Paoli that deals specifically with people with brain injuries. So I'd been through all of that at the time I started the business. I still wasn't where I am now. Um, it's taken a very, very long time. And even what you see now, which may seem fine, is not what it was before the accident, if I'm being completely honest. But it's obviously a world's away from where I was. So by the time I started, it wasn't right after the accident, um, but it was a lot, um, you know, I was a lot worse off in the recovery process than where I am today, if that makes sense. Yes, well, and can I ask what was the accident? Sure, yeah, I was um, downtown on Penn campus at the University of Pennsylvania, and I was a pedestrian, and I got hit and pinned underneath a truck. <gasps> oh my God. Yeah, so they tell me that the only reason I survived is because I was so close to a level one trauma center, because I was around the corner from HUP, so oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow, and I mean that just goes to speak to like the fragility of 
life and these paths that we think that we're on and we are on and then something happens and everything it's so crazy i mean you know obviously if you haven't been through the specific kind of accident i just described a lot of people have been through different things where you know it affects um their life and you know they, they might lose their life you know whether it's cancer or you know a different kind of accident but yeah, you definitely go through that moment. I mean, at the time I was um, either 34, 35 years old and I was a newlywed. Um, my sister's wedding was about a week to 10 days after the accident. So I had actually taken a half day that day from my job. I had a routine doctor's appointment at Penn to see my endocrinologist and then my sister who was getting married was living in University City. So my plan was to walk over from my doctor's appointment and help her with some last minute wedding stuff. So that's what I was doing there. And yeah, your whole life turns upside down in seconds. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, and then this type of injury, I mean, there has been and continues to be a long recovery. So it's almost like your life gets segmented into who you were before and what you were doing before and then who you're still in the process of becoming. Yes, I am not the same person I was before the accident. Some ways for the better, and some ways not for the better. And that's been really challenging, I think, not only for myself, I mean, I think probably for the person it's been the hardest for is my husband, because, you know, I was a different person. I am a different person than the person he married. And I won't ever go back to be the person that I was, because you can't when something like this happens to you. So that definitely has its challenges. Well, and then do you, like, do you have an awareness of the ways in which you're, you're different? Because I know brain injuries impact people differently and, and affect different centers of the brain. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, um, you know, everybody who knows me now would say, oh, she's nonstop, you know, she's everywhere. You know, I can't believe how much you can juggle and all of this. Um, but it's funny for, to me, I mean, just dealing with it myself, um, I can see that my focus and my memory still aren't where they were, um, that people don't see the downtime. They don't see, you know, they see me out and about, but they don't see that it might take me a couple hours of sitting in the dark in my house with no sound, no TV, no radio, no computer, just to kind of process and be able to move on to the next thing. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes still that, you know, maybe I don't share or I don't talk about. Um, but that enables me to do what I'm doing now. But I think more than the brain injury, when I say I'm not the same person, is I think when you go through something that where you almost lose your life, it changes your whole outlook on things. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. How could it not? How could it not, right? So I think, I think that's probably the respect that I'm most different. I think a lot of things that were important to me before are not, and vice versa. I think I'm a little bit more of a daredevil than I was. Um, because I just don't care. You know, I think like my mom was really overprotective. She's passed away a number of years ago, but um, she was a very overprotective mom. And um, I feel like everything we did, she was like, you know, this could happen, don't do that, you know. And then I look at the situation I was in and I was crossing the street in broad daylight in a crosswalk and almost died. So after that, I feel like, you know, if that can happen and you can lose your life like that, like, what am I doing with myself? You know what I mean? So. I think those mm -hmm. kinds of things, like I'll give you an example. Um, I was afraid of flying before the accident. Oh, really? So I have one of my sisters moved to the Detroit area and I would go visit her and that's maybe an hour and 20 minute flight, but I would literally have panic attacks. And it was really hard for me. I, it's not that I wouldn't do it, but I would have panic attacks. So there was a lot of places I wanted to travel and I knew that I wouldn't be able to do it. 
But after the accident, I thought, you know, how silly am I? You know, when you look at realistic statistics about what happens with plane crashes, it's so extreme, you know, that something like that would happen. And I'm not living my life. Like, I need to go see the world, you know? Wow. So. That's phenomenal that that's where you went. Because I feel like I would have maybe gone the opposite direction and just become completely anxious. So I, you know, I definitely went through a lot. I don't want to make it seem like I didn't go through mental struggles. I mean, I had um, PTSD from the accident. I had depression. I had anger. I had anxiety. Um, a lot, a lot of mental issues that I had to work through. <clears throat> but I think uh, when you talk about the anxiety, my main anxiety at that point was crossing streets. So because the accident happened when I was crossing the street. So I actually did have, I would say, several years um, before I really could cross the street without issues. There, a lot of the time I was treating right around the accident, like when I started being able to be mobile because I had so many physical injuries, I would literally have to take, um, at that point there was no Uber or Lyft, this was 2008. Oh, yeah. So I would literally have to get in the cab from 34th and Spruce to get to my sister at 31st and Walnut because I couldn't cross the streets around where the accident happened. So I would get in the cab and ask them to take me like three blocks because of the anxiety and the issues I was having that I hadn't worked through yet. Yeah, oh gosh. Well, and I think, you know, you bring up a point about things taking time and patience and persistence. And I, are you a person who comes to those things naturally or is, was that a learning? Not at all. Yeah. Um, I have no patience. Everybody who's close to me in my life would tell you that. And I think, to be honest, I have less patience following the accident than I did before. Um, you know, I, I think people talk about, you know, you get more patience with age. And if I'm being honest, I didn't. Yeah, I, no. I, I had I, no patience before <laughs> and I think I have less for things now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, and then, uh, but you have, uh, like, well, I don't know, maybe it's more purpose, maybe it's the same, maybe it's just redirected purpose, redirected. but yeah, yeah, talk a little bit about that shift, because I feel like the work that you're doing is impactful and important in a different way than the work that you were doing before. Yeah, I think for me, um, one of the main things that I had after the accident was social isolation, so... I was very outgoing before the accident and I'm very outgoing now, but there was a period of time when it happened that I didn't return calls. I didn't want to see people. I didn't want to deal with anything. Um, when I had to see people, I wasn't myself. There were a lot of people in my life that didn't stay in my life. Um, a lot of friends who just didn't know how to react to what had happened. I mean, some people that were close to me really helped me through it. And you know, even though they saw some major changes, not for the better, they stuck with me. But I think um, having that kind of social isolation and then starting a business, you know, I was smart enough to realize that I couldn't sit in my house and grow a business, right? Nobody knew me. They didn't know my brand. They didn't know who I was. So for me, you know, I tell people um, networking saved my life. I know that might sound silly, but it really was the impetus when I started the business for getting me out of the house and, you know, starting to get out to events and meet people and interact with people. It forced me to do that because I knew there was no way I could grow a business without doing that. So I started to see the impact that had not only for my business, you know, to be able to grow it quickly because I built a, a big network quickly. Um, but also how it helped myself, how it helped me personally kind of come out of all that isolation that I was in. Oh gosh, and I, I mean, there's so many directions I can go in that, but I want to hear a little bit, you mentioned your marriage and your husband and how impacted he would be, but like how was that for him to have yeah. you be 
in isolation. Yeah. It was really tough. Um, you know, I, there's people close to us that talk about, <coughs> excuse me, that talk about um, how we even made it through that time. You know, I know it sounds bad enough what I'm saying, and I'm not one to mope with things, but um, just to kind of give you the short version, during that same period of time, um, he's an only child, and he lost both his parents, one after the other, to colon cancer. So his dad was dying at the same time I had my accident. Mm -hmm. And then we both lost our moms um, the same week at the beginning of 2011. So it was like this period of a couple years. It was our first few years of marriage. I almost died, and we lost three out of four of our parents. Um, so it put a lot of strain um, on us personally and on our relationship. Um, he didn't, really didn't know what to do with me. I mean, he was dealing with a lot, obviously, himself, but also trying to help me through such a hard time. And, you know, I can think of so many times where, like, he knew what kind of person I was before the accident, and I liked to be out and about. And, you know, he would mm -hmm. suggest things to me, like, on a weekend, you know, I couldn't drive, you know, I didn't have my license anymore because of my brain injury, but he would suggest, you know, let's go do this, or, you know, even even though he hates to shop, you know, let's go shopping, let's go to Ann Taylor or something. You love that. Um, and I would just refuse to do anything and just, like, stare at walls and cry, and, you know, um, it was very, very hard. It was a very, very hard time for us. There was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of people not knowing what to do with me, particularly him. Um, and it was all at the beginning of our marriage. So, I mean, it just made it really, really hard. I mean, there was a short period of time, I would say a few months, where, I mean, literally, I couldn't dress myself. I couldn't shower on my own. I couldn't wash my own hair. Mm -hmm. I mean, he literally had to become my caretaker. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, it speaks to both of you, really, the value that you place on relationships and on doing things consistently over time and maybe trust it. Was it hope? Like, what do you think got, well, yeah. and even with the recovery, like, what do you think kind of got you through? Because I think it, it must have just been so. What do you think got us through as a couple? And individually, yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, um, I would say about a month or so after the accident, I started immediately going to therapy. So for me, that was kind of like the uh, thing I'd say that helped me the most. Um, how soon to the accident I started going to therapy. I mean, I started with a psychologist, and along the way, I mean, I had a psychiatrist. I had a sleep therapist to help deal with nightmares and trauma. I mean, I had all kinds of, you know, help. Um, but I started seeing a psychologist about a month out, and it really helped me. I would see her weekly. And so, you know, she helped me deal with a lot of the post-traumatic stress and the anger issues. Um, you know, I have to say, I wish my husband, and I mean, this isn't a secret when he sees this, he knows this, I wish he had also gone to therapy. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily with me, although they did ask him to come there with me and mm -hmm. just kind of talk to, together. Um, he never refused, but he also never went. So I felt like um, that was also a real struggle because I felt like um, my psychologist and also Bryn Mawr Rehab, when they were treating me, they asked people that live with you, you know, most often your spouse, to come and kind of learn tactics to help deal with things um, as a couple and, you know, with, with my recovery, and he never went. Yeah. Um, I know he was going through his own really hard time, like, you know, what I just described. So, I mean, I don't necessarily fault him for that. But yet, at the time, you know, there definitely was some fault that I was feeling because I was struggling with so much, and there is sort of a selfish aspect where you think, like, well, he's my spouse, you know, um, it, if he could just come and maybe this would help us through this easier, maybe that would be better. Yeah. But, but at the same happen. time, sometimes for people, disconnecting from their emotions is the thing that allows them to 
get, yeah. you know, to sort of muscle through. And if they're going through grief, it's like, I, I know there's been periods of my own life where I felt like emotionally it was a Pandora's box. And if I let the lid off, everything was just going to come out. And I like wasn't prepared to deal with that. I think you make a really good point because I think everybody deals with uh, bad stuff and trauma and grief and everything differently. And I think for him, it was about staying busy, you know, like he just kind of threw himself more into work. And um, I just think he didn't want to address those kinds of things, um, at least on the same time frame and in the same way that I did, yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, I just think about your work with people now and what you're doing to kind of empower them on an individual basis and how much has what you've been through really like, I don't know, informed the way that you work with people and how do you work with people? I think it's really informed a lot of what I do, um, you know, because I think that I, I'm willing to take a lot more chances in my own life and I really encourage people to kind of just like throw themselves out there. Um, so even from like a business networking standpoint, I think, you know, people, a lot of people get really down on themselves, you know, I can't do this because I don't have enough experience yet, or I can't ask this person for an intro or a favor, or, you know, I won't uh, necessarily get that opportunity. So I feel like it's enabled me to be a lot more of a cheerleader for myself and for other people when I'm working with them and just kind of tell them to go for it because, you know, that's, there's that whole, like, what's the worst that's going to happen? People are going to say no. You have to get used to no as an entrepreneur. But I mean, I just think I've overcome so much that I feel like it's just such a waste of time to sit there and be like, well, I can't do this. What if this happens? What if that happens? So, well, and it reminds you know. me of your, the fear of flying that you had before. I mean, it's very real for people. It's very, very real. Yeah, I don't mean to minimize that. But it's that. also yeah. so limiting to act based on the perception that something could be threatening that really isn't that threatening. And right. so it's, it's sort of like honoring people's emotional state and at the same time saying, yeah, well, I get that you feel that way and do it anyway or take that action. Exactly. And I think also, you know, back to your question a few minutes ago about um, how I really was able to kind of come out of this with all the help that I had, you know, with uh, doctors and providers and, and the mental help and everything medications, you know, I could go on and on. But I think uh, at some point during that process, I had kind of an epiphany in my own mind that really it's on me. Um, you know, that like the people can give me all the help they want, but I'm not coming out of it because I'm not making a decision to get myself out of it, you know? What um, do you think led to that epiphany? So I actually think it was my mom's death. Um, because it came, like you know, I said, about two and a half years after the accident. I wasn't as extreme as I was closer to the accident, but I also was still in a very bad place. And so then you know, I started going to therapy and hearing about um, the compounded trauma, the trauma of the accident and then the deaths in our family and, of course, of my mom. And that really set me back. Like, you know, the, they say he takes two steps forward, one step back. I took two steps forward and, like, ten steps back. I was in a really, really bad place. But my mom was, um, in, in many ways, an amazing woman. I mean, she was, um, my, both my parents were immigrants, and she had to flee Morocco with her family um, because of anti-Semitism, came to this country with nothing, and, you know, had a PhD and spoke seven languages and had an amazing, yeah. intelligent, bright, I mean, lots of things going for her. Having said that, my parents went through a really ugly divorce, and it was very extended, and she got mentally and physically sick, um, and didn't really help herself mm -hmm. in ways that she could have and went very downhill and ended up dying very young. And, you know, definitely it could have been prevented. Yeah. 
so I think when I saw that happen, you know, um, it was a real turning point for me of what I didn't want to see my life become. I feel like in retrospect, um, everything that happened with my parents' divorce, my dad's a very well-known lawyer and it was very public. And I think watching what, what, what happened with that, she kind of let her life be defined by that situation. And it just went very much downhill, um, much more than it was. And so for me, I kind of looked at that and even though I was in such a bad place, you know, I kind of told myself like, is this the road I want to go down? Like, am I going to let this accident define me or am I going to get myself out of the situation? You know? And like, you know, sort of allowing your life to be sidelined by something that devastating, horrible, but like you still then have a life to live. And right. you didn't you didn't die. And so kind of like making that choice to choose to live. To choose life and choose, yeah. you know, I always say choose happiness. You have to choose it for yourself. You know, I mean, um, I think the biggest thing that I've come out of is when you hear people say happiness isn't like being cheerful and gleeful every day. It's a state of mind, yeah. you know, and just choosing that every day. Like, how am I going to make myself and people around me happy? Um, you know, because I was unhappy for so long and in such a dark place, you know, and I don't want to go back there, you know. Well, and to me, my sense of happiness is inextricably linked to my sense of meaning and purpose. Yes. Like, I'm not happy moment by like moment, by moment but I have an unshakable purpose. And so that gives me like a touchstone that I, I then find a lot of moments of happiness yeah. along the way. And so I guess, do you feel like you, your sense of meaning and purpose has shifted? And, and what was it? What is yeah. it? Like, can you speak to that a little bit? Definitely. I mean, I think uh, when, I was an, when I was a litigator, I was very good at what I did. But, you know, being a litigator, it's contentious all the time. You know, you're um, opposing counsels against you. Sometimes the judges are, you know, terrible to you. Sometimes they're lovely. Sometimes they're not. You know, um, I worked in-house for insurance companies. So sometimes, you know, you work well with the people and sometimes you don't work well with the people. But, you know, it's always contentious. And at the end of the day, I mean, you know, not to minimize anything I did. I think I did a great job, you know, until I had the accident. But, I mean, you know, you're either saving the insurance company or you're not saving the insurance company money. Mm. And I'm not saying that's not important, but at the same time, is it purposeful? You know, did I leave at the end of the day feeling like I was changing the world? No. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, sometimes good comes out of bad things. And I think with what I'm doing now, it opened me up to really feel like I can change people's lives. And I know, I know that sound, may sound so egotistical, just like to be, you know, doing like business speaking and stuff. But I mean, I've really seen the impact it can have on people, um, you know, when you show them that you can be a better networker and really change your life, change your relationships, whether it's personal or professional, change your business. Mm -hmm. You can do it quicker. You make less mistakes than I made as a new business owner. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing is, you know, I had a very insular network yeah. before. I had a good network, I had a strong network, but it was mostly lawyers, mostly all lawyers. So for me, when I started as an entrepreneur, that was really hard because I had no entrepreneur support. Yeah. But now I've developed such a big entrepreneur community and it's really exciting. I mean, you know, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. When you, you know, are able to meet different people every day and hear their projects and their stories and their hopes and dreams. And, you know, I think entrepreneurs are just like always thinking of the next thing, the next big idea. Um, it's such a different community than the space I was in, in a positive way. Well, in the work that you do in terms of like creating networks and business development, like I think that you said, you know, it might be egotistical to think about yourself as changing lives, but I think that's exactly what you're doing because 
business is such a big part. I mean, most of us spend at a minimum 40 hours a week working right. at a, like a low minimum, right? Yeah. And so that's a ton of our time. And then if you're helping people to create deeper relationships and connections within that, then it means that they're feeling fulfilled by their work lives, Definitely. which then spills into every other area of life. So like, of course you're changing, <laughs> you're changing lives and and I'm sure that you end up dealing with some other things that don't just end up in the business realm because in the consulting space, I know, you know, like you can't just take a sliver of someone's life and think that that's representative of all of it. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, what we're doing here today where we're talking more about my personal story, it's only been in the last maybe year or two that I feel like I've really been able to even share the kinds of stuff I'm sharing today. So I've had a few places where I've been able to have a public platform and do speaking on my story and you know how I overcame it and then also how other people can overcome things and the whole idea and the importance of sharing your story. Um, so I'd love to start doing a lot more of that now that mm -hmm. I feel like I'm at a place where I can and I definitely see how that can change people's lives. Um, I've even seen it just in the few that I've done. Like I did this event in May. Um, there's uh, this thing called the Fearless Women's Network. Okay, yeah. And so I was asked to do that, um, and um, it's through um, the Fearless Restaurant Group. And they own a number of local restaurants, including like the White Dog Cafes. Yes. So I did it at a place called Autograph, and I'll just give an example. I mean, we probably had, I don't know, 35-ish, maybe a little more women there. Some of them I didn't know at all. A couple of my best friends were in the room, mm. and. So because I shared my story and we kind of broke up into groups and tables and were sharing other stories, I came to learn that one of my best friends who I've known for like seven years shared something that happened to her that I didn't know about, even though we talk like every day. Um, so she felt in that space, you know, after I shared my story that somehow with people that she didn't really know even, um, that she could share it. And it was news to me. So, I mean, I was like, this is really impactful. Um, and I would love to do more of this, you know, where people feel like they have a space to share this. Oh my gosh. And I think that like that sense of, I can't share this or I'm not going to talk about this. I'm, I think sometimes people need to keep things to themselves or they're just not ready yet and that's totally okay. But I think that sometimes that lack of being known, that lack of letting ourselves be really seen, it yes. creates a sense of, you mentioned isolation after your accident, but I think there's isolation even in our interpersonal interactions and relationships that people can feel. Definitely, I mean, I think you feel, you know, sometimes when people have a wall up, um, not always, but I mean, I think, you know, when you don't share all of yourself, I think, you know, it is noticeable. Um, or at least it's noticeable to you. You know, when you get to a place where you are sharing your whole self, I think it's just a different path, yeah. you know? Yeah. And noticeable to you, I mean, you, you spoke earlier about how, you know, well, people don't see that I might be interactive and then I'll have to go home and spend an hour or two hours just sort of decompressing and, on, and alone. And, and I think that like something about letting people in on your process, it for me anyways, it, it it gives me more of a sense that oh, like it's not necessarily super easy for that person who I admire to right. be where they are. So maybe I can maybe I can step outside my comfort zone and and know that. Like, it's okay that they don't have anything that I don't have within me. They're not like this perfect person who has it all together. Absolutely. I mean, I, and I really do try to share that because it is 
a struggle for me. Like everything that I do is a, more of a struggle than it was before the accident, and it is a struggle. I mean, to people who don't know me well, and it looks like you know a nice life and everything, and maybe it looks easy, but you know, I'm I'm definitely quick to share that it isn't, um, and it hasn't been. You know, mm -hmm. so I mean, I, I I'm struggling probably more than a lot of people, but it doesn't mean that I can't accomplish the goals I want to accomplish. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, what are some of those goals? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think the biggest one that I've had in the last couple of years that I still haven't accomplished is to do a TEDx talk. Um, okay. Yeah. So I've applied to some. I haven't been selected. I'm going to continue. That's, that's probably the biggest one on the horizon. Um, the last couple, more than a couple of years, I'd say five or six years, I was applying to the Pennsylvania Conference for Women, which is a big women's conference at the oh, convention yeah. center. So I've been applying there for at least five or six years to speak, and this past October I finally got selected. So that was one of my big like dream goals. So, wait, so um, did you speak this October? I did. How yeah. was it? It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, just you know, setting a goal and you know just not giving up on it. I think for a lot of people, um, they set the goals, but then you know when you get a lot of discouragement and rejection, it's hard to kind of stay with it. And I would have applied 10 more times if I had to, you know, which is the same thing I'll do for TED. Like, I won't give up until yeah. I'm on the TED stage, you know? Well, that's so interesting because you said that you're less patient than you were before. Yeah. But you're also <laughs> so persistent. And that's something that I, I personally have to contend with within myself because it's like I have these things and I really want them to happen. And I'll be like a dog with a bone and just go for it. But then that process of like, discouragement or letdown and then going and going. How do you navigate that? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I feel like, you know, I don't want to say we don't all have our moments. Like there are definitely moments where I've wanted things and got rejected and I've been in like in a dark space. Like, but I kind of have this rule now um, where I only let myself wallow for like a short time. Like yeah. basically my time frame is 24 to 72 hours. You know, I will one to three days and then I have to move past it. Like I just have to. Um, because I won't go back to that really dark space that I was in. And I just think there's no point to it. There's, you know, so I think um, for me, I mean, the patience and the persistence seem so different. And I, I get the sense that maybe it's the same for you. The rejection, I think for the most part, you know, after that one to, day, one to three day time period, it really fuels me. Yeah. Um, just like when I was treating after the accident. And, you know, I know I treated with such amazing people at the different facilities I talked about. I don't want to undermine anything because they're absolutely amazing yes. people, the kind of stuff that they have to help people overcome. But I was also being told that, you know, it was not going to be realistic for me to have a career that involved public speaking again when that was the only thing I really loved to do, yeah. like doing my trials and everything. And, you know, I was being shown examples of people that had had a, a good recovery that were not examples of what I wanted, where I wanted to be. And, you know, I'll tell the story, and I don't mean to minimize anything about it, but you'll see what I mean. Um, there was a guy in my rehab that had been through something similar to me with a traumatic brain injury mm -hmm. and a terrible accident. And one day they introduced me to him, and um, he was part-time. He was a couple years out, I think, from his accident, and he was younger than me, and he was working part-time as a waiter. There's nothing wrong yeah. with working as a waiter, but before the accident, he had been some sort of professional. I can't remember what. He had gone to school and yeah. had, you know... Um, and uh, they sat with me and said, isn't that wonderful that he's able to do this now? This is what you can, you know, look forward to be able to do. Like, you're going to get to a place where you can work again, too. Mm. And I came home, like, so angry that day, thinking to myself, you know, I have multiple degrees. I have all these goals. 
And if the best that I can do is wait tables, you know, three days a week, I am not going to see that yeah. as an accomplishment um, just because of where I wanted to take things in my own life. Um, so, you know, I think, where was I going with this? <laughs> I think, oh, the persistence, persistence. The persistence. Yeah. yeah. So I think for me, the reason I'm telling this is because I think personally I get fueled by that, you know, um, that whole like tell me I can't attitude, yeah, you know, yeah, I think yeah. that uh, when I hear that I can't do something, or I won't be able to do something. You know, I just want to show people that that's not the case. I want to show myself that's not the case. Oh, me too. Know? Spite is one of my biggest yeah, motivators. Yeah, I think it's a I great motivator. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and there is like this intrinsic sense of knowing like who you are, what you want, what your life can offer. Right. That I think it's, it's balancing that. It's balancing that sense of like, okay, what are the, I, if I do want to be on the TEDx stage, let's say, but I'm not in a place where I can even stand up for, you know, those and I five had that, minutes I had or that ten time. minutes, like yeah. right, like how do I set these small, measurable goals along the way and never lose sight of that big goal, but also not minimize the achievement of being able to stand on my feet, being able right. to walk to the other, being able to shower again, yes. you know, when after having my husband have to do that for me, or so. How do you kind of navigate that line? Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I don't know if I have a clear answer to that. I mean, you're right. I think, you know, I think as a society, and certainly myself, you know, included in that, we don't celebrate the small victories as much. You know, I think for me, I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm like, yeah, that was an accomplishment when I could get dressed again, when I could drive, when I could do this. But at the time, I didn't really see that, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, I really kind of only saw the big goals of like, you know, I want to be back where I am standing in front of crowds and, and being able to speak and, and do everything I want to do. I want to be in a place where I'm able to be social again and juggle multiple things. Like, I was really only looking at the big goals. So some of the smaller steps that you're talking about, which were actually really big steps at the time, yeah. I really didn't interpret that way. I'm yeah. the exact same way, and people <laughs> in my life are always will say to me, like, well, you know, you, you hit this benchmark or you did this thing, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, but it doesn't count until this, right. you know, this bigger thing. Like, I want to be with a big five publisher, and yep. it doesn't count unless it's that. You know, I want to be, yeah, like, and I don't know, I don't know, because I think, for me, the thing that keeps me going is that, inability to be satisfied. I think, so. I think I'm the same way, you know, and it's funny, like, I feel like at the end of the year, you know, we always get to that place where it's like before New Year's and you're kind of taking stock of what your year's been like and what did you accomplish. And I remember last year, um, you know, talking to my husband and saying like, well, my big goals were, you know, this was before this year. So it was like the PA conference, which I hadn't been selected for yet, the TEDx. Um, you know, and um, I, I'm trying to remember what the other one was. Oh, because I've been wanting to do, even though I'm not a runner at all, I've been wanting to do the Broad Street Run. Oh, That's wow. like something I really want to do. And I, I had my fourth Achilles surgery last December. So I don't know when I'm going to be cleared to do something like that. But anyway, so I'm looking at this list. And so at the end of 20, I guess it was 2018, none of them had been accomplished. And I was like, wow, I, I was really depressed. I was just like, yeah. wow, you know, I didn't accomplish any of my goals this year. Um, and it's, it's a hard kind of pill to swallow. Yeah. You know, but then he was like, well, you know, look at these other 10 things that you did. Yes. How come you're minimizing that? Like you were able to be published in this and you spoke here and you did this. Why aren't you looking at any of that? You yeah. know, yeah. but I wasn't. No, you know? no. And I'm right yeah. there with you. I'm like, well, of course you're not looking at that. Yeah. It's not, but, it, but sometimes I think too, and when you coach people and you speak, like sometimes I think we can see other people's achievements and accomplishments better than we can see our own. And also in yeah. therapy too, you mentioned yeah. therapy. Like I think sometimes that's 
a value that having people that we can speak to who know our ultimate goals and dreams and visions like can remind us that we are making progress even if it's not the result that we want yet right no definitely and i feel like i'm so good at being other people's cheerleader you know people say i'm in a bad place or i'm feeling stagnant or whatever it is i'm, I'm able to say no you know you did this and this and this and like you're so amazing um but it's very hard to do that for yourself yeah well, in this moment right now, what's a way that you can acknowledge that you are pretty amazing? Like yeah, I think uh, one thing I haven't discussed, which I'm really proud of, is a couple years ago I took up boxing. Um, and it was really tough for me because, you know, I was not somebody who was like an athlete or skinny or anything before my accident. But obviously we all know it's important to stay healthy. And, you know, I was definitely somebody who tried to make that a priority. Didn't always do the best job at it because I think, you know, people talk about finding something you love and then that'll able, enable you to stay more healthy and fit. But I was one of those people who would go to the gym for like six months religiously and then I would decide I hate it so much and not come back for two years. Yeah, like I was yeah, one of those okay, people. Yes. Um, so I used to, um, a few years ago, I was hosting a local TV show in Lower Marion, and I used to highlight different entrepreneurs and, you know, authors and different people like that. And a woman reached out to me, I didn't know her, and she said, I saw you do this local show. I run this um, boxing studio, boxing and spin mm -hmm. studio with my husband. Can I come on the show? And I thought, sure, you know. Yeah. She came on the show, like we had a nice interview, and at the end she said, um, you know, you should really come try our boxing classes. Um, you know, our first class is complimentary. You know, anytime you want to come, let me know. And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm looking at her, and she's, like, super fit and, like, positive and everything. And I'm like, of course I'm not going to try this. Why would I try this? But, you know, the reason I mention that is because, because of everything I'd been through physically, I had been trying so many different things, and I live with so many chronic injuries, and I'm still having surgery. So it's been so hard for me to find something where I can get a good workout, um, but also it's not um, making any of my injuries even worse. Yes. So, and, and also something I enjoyed, so all of those yeah. things, right? So long story short, I ended up trying it. My first class was great, but so hard. And I started going and it was the kind of thing where I would go to a class and it was so hard that I would come home and like get back into bed for three hours or sometimes the whole day, I'm not yeah, gonna lie. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and um, so now a couple of years later, you know, I've had a couple breaks with different surgeries, but I love it. I mean, it's literally changed my life. And I don't like mean even from a fitness standpoint, although it has, um, but just from a confidence standpoint, from a strength standpoint, like an inner strength standpoint, and even the combinations, when I look at where I started, because those kinds of things are so hard for my brain and what I'm able to do now, and I can really see like an ROI of that, it's been life-changing for me. Oh my um, gosh, and to yeah. give you an outlet, you had mentioned anger yep. in the immediate aftermath of the accident, and even for a long time afterwards, and I feel like to be able to sort of channel some of that emotion. A hundred percent, yeah, yeah. Wow, that is so, your story is so inspiring. Oh, thank you. And I love, so let's say people wanted to get in touch with you because they want you to speak or they want to sort of find out more about your personal coaching. How do you, how do people get in touch with yeah, you? Yeah, so this is where I should look yes, at the camera. Yes, sure, yeah. <laughs> so if you want to reach out to me, uh, my website is purposefulnetworking.com. My personal email is jennifer at purposefulnetworking.com. You can also reach me on all types of social media, but on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at RUNetworked, which is A-R-E-Y-O-U Networked. So Thank you yeah. so much, Jennifer. Thank you. And, Thank you for you know, having me. Well, yeah, and you talked about purpose, you know, and I think each of us, we're kind of, 
I don't even know if I want to go spiritual with it and say like we're here for a reason, but I think we do all have a purpose, whether it's a purpose yeah. that comes from outside of ourselves or a purpose we give ourselves. And um, I think that purpose is like sort of tied to the story of our life. And so I'm just wondering, like, let's say your story were in a book somewhere and someone was to open the book of your life, what would be the, the message or the takeaway that you would want them to, to emerge with? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a tough question, but I think it would just be, um, even though it's so cliche, is just, you know, live in the present. Um, you know, I think at the time I had the accident, I didn't realize how stagnant my life was. Not to say I wasn't a success or I wasn't happy in some respects. I didn't have good relationships, but it was so stagnant. And I feel like it did take something this big for me to make so many changes in a positive way mm. with different, not just my business, just many, yes, many aspects yes. of my life, my relationships, you know, my health, there's so many things. So I think, you know, people are always, people, and I include myself in this, we're always looking, you know, this is what happened in the past. This is what I need to do tomorrow. And it's so, so hard to live in the moment. But your life can change like that. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I, I can't, I still look at the whole situation that we're talking about, even though it was so many years ago. And I think about how quickly everything changed, how jealous I was of people that were living a normal life when I had my life put on hold for so many years. Yes. How jealous I was of my husband watching him even go to work. Um, when I wasn't able to even like leave the house or just go to rehab. So just be appreciative and live in the moment um, and don't put off things that you want to do. Like just live your life, you know? I mean, I've, I've, I got a tattoo for my 10th anniversary. I never thought I'd do that. I went zip lining. You know, I'm going to do the Broad yeah. Street as soon as they clear me. Like live your life, you know? Yeah. I love that. I Yeah. Well, and life happens in those moments, whether yeah. it's a moment happens and it changes our life. Like, and it's something that happens outside of ourselves, or we can make a choice to change in the moment and to live differently. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you much. so much. Yeah. yeah. If anyone knows how to get up after life gets them down, it's Jennifer. Her story is so inspiring. Speaking of, of that, um, one of our show sponsors, Just Strong, a lifestyle and clothing brand for women, has the motto of the squat. Because what they say is that the real strength comes from getting back up after we get down. Um, they've generously offered 10% off to any viewers or listeners of the Transformational Storyteller podcast. And to take advantage of that offer, just go to www.juststrong.com and enter the coupon code DARALEASE10 for 10% off at checkout. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Transformational Storyteller podcast. As always, thanks to our episode sponsors, our production team at Rebel Hill Consulting, and of course, many thanks to you, the listener. Whoever you are, wherever you are, I hope you're creating stories that empower you and inspire others.